My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. So we're starting in verse 26 today, which is the... Uh, I was talking to Brian in the office this morning. He asked me, where are you guys at in Mark today? And I said, well, we're the last section in the first half of Mark 14. And that's when I realized that it was too complicated of a way to describe where we are. So that's the, that's the reality. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, Mark 14. Uh, we'll read all the way through the first half of Mark 14 next week, just as a, by way of announcement. Next week is a very special Sunday. I've got a couple of things going on next Sunday that I have never done before in Sunday school, ever. You do not want to miss next Sunday. Just saying. Also, next Sunday, insert lame Baptist joke here, is uh, no excuse Sunday, accidentally went to Sunday school Sunday, um, all sorts of stuff, because I think next Sunday is the daylight saving time end Sunday. So, yes, um, over the, I don't know, close to 20 years I've been teaching Sunday school, I've probably had eight to 10 different people who showed up at the wrong time, stumbled into Sunday school, and then became members of our class at some point. So I, I always like that Sunday. Um, I think it's funny how God can use even a clock that didn't uh, go to the right time for his glory. So crazy stuff, crazy stuff. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 14. We'll ask our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, and believe it or not, we did actually study Mark last week. I was a hot minute late getting it posted, but uh, we were on vacation last week in Alabama in a place that uh, had Wi-Fi but didn't really have Wi-Fi. Uh, and it turned out that was probably good for all of us, too. I don't know that it really was, but it's supposed to have been good for all of us to unplug for a second, so, so there's that. But uh, if you missed last week's lesson, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube. Uh, the version on Facebook has a seven and a half minute uh, duplication, the first seven and a half minutes. I can't figure out how to fix that, but I did edit the one on YouTube. So the one on YouTube is seven and a half minutes shorter, um, and you can still get the same credit. And I did update the podcast, so it is not correct. There we go. So, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Yes, sir? Okay. So. You're never first. That's kind of cool. All right. Well, I, I prepared for this. This one because, like, I always look at the communion. I'm like, okay, there's two things, so there have to be two different things that it's about. There's the body and it's the blood. Okay. Okay? So, why, why did he say... Specific to 
That's right. Um, Awesome. And we are doubling down on that hard today. Okay. The, uh, the concept of uh, God was doing something in the distant past that had direct and complete fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, I was actually talking to Brian about this this morning, too. So that's why I was late getting the stream started this morning, for those of you online. So thanks for your patience. Um, the, uh, this idea that not only was Jesus the Messiah, he was the only one who could have been the Messiah. Um, it, it's, it's not just, a, well, oh, you know, he checked all the boxes. No, 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 no. He was the only one that could have checked all the boxes. Nobody else even came remotely close to this. Nobody today is even coming remotely close to this, even though they say, hey, I'm the Messiah in these weird places. It's, uh, it is not, in fact, what is going on. So. All right, anybody else? What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So hello to Amy, uh, Ronnie and Beverly, my friends from North Carolina, Nancy Miller, and Mom. Awesome, guys. All right, let's jump in and read the first half of Mark chapter 14. I'll read down through verses uh, 1 through 31. So Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, that where I may pass over with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city just, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So we come to this last section in the first half of Mark chapter 14, where Jesus, in the ESV, the section header is Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And I will say, verse 26 does in fact put some finish on the last supper, the last Seder that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. Because the last step in the process was to sing a hymn. It's a very specific hymn. We actually know uh, between two or three of them in the Psalms which one it was. Uh, But this was the last step in the Seder. So when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's go to the next slide there, Dave. So remember, so they went into the city for the Passover itself. So they have the Passover inside Jerusalem, and they're coming back out to the Mount of Olives. Now, does anybody know, so so the Mount of Olives is actually a a pretty good size object, right? Which side of the Mount of Olives were they on? Does anybody know? The west side, that's exactly right. They were over here toward the Garden of Gethsemane because this is where the next set of events is actually going to happen. So this is, so so I want you to, I want you to see what Jesus is not doing. Jesus knows Judas has betrayed him. Jesus knows that the time is very, very short before he is coming to be arrested. Jesus does not head off miles and miles and miles away to run away from the Father's will. If if you look at the scale, this is one mile. So he's coming out maybe half a mile from Jerusalem. This would have been important. This will actually be important for the lesson for two weeks from now, three weeks from now. Because what Judas was fundamentally doing was telling the chief priests and the leadership where he was and where he was not surrounded by crowds. Because they didn't need to do this in public. They needed to do this in private. And this was the big deal. This is what he actually got paid for was where, when and where alone. Those are the three kind of big points that he's making here. So they go to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, so after they get there, so it's been a hot minute, so they've just, so, so what's, in, what's in their immediate past? He's just messed with the Passover, <laughs> right? So something different is going on here. This is kind of weird, what's going on? And he says to them, you will all fall away. And at this point, we think most of them had been with him somewhere around three, three and a half, maybe up to close to four years. And he tells them, you're all going to fall away. And the Greek word is uh, skandalizo. And if that sounds like scandalize, yes, that's where we get our English word scandalize, to to entrap, to trip up, to stumble, to entice to sin. This is used several different times in uh, Mark's gospel and in the New Testament. 
It's actually used, I think the first time it's used in 417 to describe uh, Jesus' teaching uh, stumbled. It tripped up. It was a problem for some people. And if you look at the top of page 475 on your handout, and if you look all the way down to the, uh, Dave, can you go to the next slide? If you look all the way down to the bottom of, I looked at myself on the picture here and I was purple because the, the camera is trying to figure out what to focus on. I'm white enough as it is. But the scandalizo at the top is the exact same word. It's also the same parsing of the same word that Peter uses when he says, even though they all scandalizo. So fairly often in the New Testament, when one person says, you're going to do this, and another person quotes them, they don't use the exact same parsing. Peter uses the exact same parsing here. It's perfectly the same word. So they're going to all scandalizo. And then we come to this really interesting quote, because Jesus says for. So this is the reason. This is because... It is written. So where would something be written? Old Testament. It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So does anybody have a reference in your Bible to what book of the Bible this is referring to? Zechariah. All right. When was the last time you read Zechariah? I'll wait. been a hot minute, right? I thought it might have been a hot minute. And I will tell you this. Zechariah if you ordered the books of the Bible from most sane S-A-N-E to least sane, where you read them and you're like there may have been some pharmaceuticals involved in the writing of this book, right? Zechariah is absolutely on this end of the spectrum. It is nearly hallucinogenic in several spots. And when you read commentaries and studies and overviews and summaries, there's almost always going to be some reference to there was a lot of dreams and they went a lot of directions and it was very interesting. So because Jesus is doing something right here and he's ratcheted it up over the last several chapters, he's quoting more and more Old Testament scriptures that are showing I'm the Messiah I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. I wanted us to take a minute and get an overview of Zechariah. So we're going to watch a video. It's eight minutes long. And I'll say two things about this video. One, for those of you online, if you cannot hear the sound, because Facebook might kill the sound, this is what they do sometimes for um, works like this. I want you to Google YouTube Bible Project Zechariah. You Google those three things, it'll pull up the video. You can look at, watch it in a different tab while we're watching it in class. So if you lose the sound, that's what's going on. And then two, uh, if you're not familiar with this resource, the Bible Project videos, they're a really handy resource for providing short overview summaries of big books of the Bible. And if you're a visual person, if you like pictures and drawings and charts and arrows and lists and tables, and they're going to scratch all of the itches for you here because it is very, very good like that. And I will say, well, I'll say one more thing. Um, they are not flawless in their theology. Nobody's flawless in their theology. They lean very charismatic in certain places. And I would say, I don't know that I would completely align with all their eschatological the end time views. This one is very, very good. So let's watch this video from the Bible Project. 
and y'all know me well enough know that would have taken me 17 years to explain that. So you're welcome. Um, so a, a couple of things about this. Did you get a glimpse of Jesus at any point during that? Yes. You were just waterboarded with Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Like this was, this is what Zechariah is. Zechariah is nonstop Messiah, 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 Messiah. It's beautiful. And the thing I want you to see is that God was using everything up to it, including a prophet's dreams hundreds of years before Jesus Christ to show exactly what the Messiah was going to look like. He used everything in his arsenal to describe and to show the Messiah is coming and this is what he's going to look like. And the bad shepherds still missed it. Now, before we keep going, I don't want you to miss the timing of where Mark puts this. Jesus has just instituted a new covenant with his people because he has obeyed the old covenant in himself and he is going to begin the new covenant with the, the Last Supper and then his death, burial, resurrection. So who was the person that, Zechari that Zechariah was looking forward to? Jesus, right? He was the, the Israelite in whom actually obeyed and fulfilled the law. There we go. So it's not an accident that Jesus puts this quote here. Because the timing of this is important as well. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So the reference is to Zechariah 13.7. And again, just like the prior couple of references to Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, I would have slid right past this one and not recognized it was about Jesus had Jesus not called it out and gone, it's about me. <laughs> yeah? Yes, ma'am. What, what was that reference? 13.7. Uh, so where were we in chapter 13 from the big grid? Do you remember? We were in the, the far right hand, the second half, the second part of the second half of the new everything, right? Where the Messiah is the actual king. So we, we're clearly talking about messianic prophecy about Jesus here. All right, so this word, I will strike. Yes, we are going to get done with this uh, lesson today. Don't worry. Some of you have, have doubts. It's okay. This word for strike is a really neat word. It can mean everything from to knock gently or fatally. And I would argue that's exactly what is about to happen to Jesus. He takes some blows. He takes some easy blows. He takes some very hard blows. And then he is fatally wounded. So I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And this is in the context of you will all fall away. You will scatter. You will run. You will go and do something else. But don't miss the tense of this word for scattered because it's a passive tense. Something is going to happen to you that is going to force the scattering. This is not a willful, I've decided to actively go abandon Jesus. No, no, no. This is pressure, uh, affliction, persecution comes, and scattering is a result. This is a, this is a big deal, this tense for this word right here. If anything, I would say it gives the disciples just a little bit of air cover that they were not reprobates. So verse 28, but after I am raised up, what could that be a reference to? I don't know. That sounds like, does that sound like the resurrection? Yes, that's the resurrection. So after I am raised up, 
That's passive as well if you want to put your, put your brain into a loop-de-loop roller coaster of a theological question, right? Who raised, what power raised Jesus? After I am raised up, I will go before you. And this is not just to lead. This is to lead forward magisterially. This is to lead forward like a, the, like a king would lead. And this is a big deal. Because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he says, this is a future active indicative. I'm, I'm declaring this to be true, and I am going to actively go and do it. What a beautiful king we serve. So, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And you're like, well, Galilee? What's about Galilee? Dave, let's get a map. So they are down here in Jerusalem, right? At the Mount of Olives. And they're going to go to Galilee. Why would we be going back to Galilee? Like, what? What? Why are we going back to Galilee? It's where they're from. That's right. Because Jesus gets that his resurrection is going to change everything. And they're going to go from being bold about, I want to sit beside you. I'm not going to deny you to actually proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who, who maybe should hear it? Maybe friends and family, right? Because there's going to be a difference in these guys here. That's right. That's exactly right. So he's going to go back to Galilee. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. Uh, and then verse 29 uh, and the, the ESV actually omits the, uh, the conjunction here. Uh, you could either translate it but or and. I would say the context here is closer to but. Uh, but Peter said to him, and this word said is the imperfect tense, so this is repeated. Right? This is not just a once. Because if he just said it once, maybe you ignore it. But he said it repeatedly. Even though they all scandalizo, even though they all fall away... I'm special. I will not. There's still a lot of pride going on here. And that's going to get, I would argue that's going to, a lot of that's going to get worked out in the next 24 hours. (laughs) Maybe 72. We'll put 72 on it. (laughs) It's probably a little closer. In verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly. Remember, guys, when Jesus starts off a quote with amen, we're, we're bringing the big bats, right? Dansby Swanson is up to bat. There you go. There's the reference. Cool. Truly, I tell you, and there's some words omitted here, which is kind of funny. Um, the Greek word for hotis, to start the quote, is there. Then there's a Greek word, uh, su, for you. And then there's the Greek word, uh, samaron, which means this night. So you, you could translate it this way. Truly, I tell you, you, this night, this very night. Jesus doubles down on the this night part here. That didn't really show up in some of the English translations. This very night, before the rooster crows. Have we talked about when roosters crow? They crow at all kinds of goofy times, right? But historically, traditionally, you think about rooster's crow in the morning, right? So before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Now, what's the Greek word here? Is it skandalizo? 
No, it's not. This word is to deny utterly, to disown, to abstain. This is a much more serious word for deny than scandalizo. Scandalizo is to scatter, to run away, to, to be spread all over. This is to double down and say, no, I don't, like, no, no, no. And of all the records that we have in the New Testament about the apostles and what they did, do we have anybody's record that feels like a double down, no, no, it's Peter. Now, there is actually a proper way to use this word. If you go to Mark 8.34, I'll give you the biblical way to use this word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, this is Jesus speaking here, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. No, 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 no to me. Yes, 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 yes to following after Christ. That's the, way, that's the biblical way to use this word. You can actually uh, aperneal my uh, biblically, which is kind of crazy, I think. So you're going to deny me utterly, to disown me three times. And think about how that would have felt to hear. I mean, this is a, I've just doubled down in front of our whole group. Our whole group just heard this. Me say, I'm not going to deny you. Not, not just once, but three times before the rooster crows. And does Peter get it? Not yet. I'm so thankful that it's a not yet and not a no forever too. Right? Verse 31, but he, Peter, said, and then again, this is imperfect, so he said this repeatedly, and this is emphatically. Uh, you, the other times this word is used in Mark's gospel, it's used of people shouting. And I, I gotta wonder if that's consistent here. If Peter shouted back at the Savior, "I must die. If I must die with you, I will not deny you." Like that's, whew, that's dangerous stuff. That's dangerous stuff. So if I must die with you, I will not. And he uses the double negative here. I will not. I will not not deny you. And Peter, again uses the same word that Jesus uses, the future middle deponent indicative for aphronomai. And then the last phrase here, and they all, so who's the they all? Their other disciples, right? How many of them would have been there at that point? It doesn't say, does it? Good answer. Yes. Yes. We don't know. There could have been more than just the 12 there. It ruins all of our mental pictures that we've ever been told our entire lives. But the Bible doesn't actually say there were 12 there. We know, in fact, there weren't 12 there because who we know wasn't there. Judas wasn't there, right? So when I say the other, at least there would have been 10. But 11 would be a wrong answer. Unless there was just some random disciple tagging along, which there might have been, which we're going to get to here in a few, a few weeks. So we'll deal with this dude who runs off naked, which is, I think, the most bizarre text in all of Mark. So we'll talk about that too. So, um, and if you've skipped over that part, now you're curious about it. So there's that. So what's the point, Jim? All right, here we go. What's the point? Number one, Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. So what do we do with that? How about we don't argue with him about it? 
So Jesus knows the future and don't argue with him about it. And then application number two, Jesus fulfilled messianic prophecies. It's all about him. Even those random, weird, it feels like hallucinogenically uh, prompted dreams that Zephaniah had, or Zechariah had, um, are really about Jesus. What kills me is that God will use our conscious engagement with the world and our unconscious engagement with whatever our brain is doing during dreams to point to himself. So what do we do with that if Jesus fulfilled messianic prophecies? Uh, how about we deny self? Another way to say that is to repent and believe in him. Deny self, repent, and believe in him. So that is our whirlwind tour through the last section of the text in the first half of Mark 14. Next week, we will be prepping for the second half of Mark 14. So we'll do our traditional uh, exercises in class along with, again, something that I told you I'm super excited about. I have never done before. Please don't miss it. And you've got an extra hour next week. So there's that. So with that, uh, let's move into our prayer time. Uh, you should have a weekly update in black and white because I didn't click the color button this morning on the printer. Uh, and if you've got prayer requests there that you would like to have updated or prayer requests you'd like to have added, please do so. For those of you online, if you'll just put those in the comments, that'd be great. We'd love to pray for you as well. Appreciate you being here and engaging with us. Uh, and then make sure your attendance, uh, that you printed your name at the bottom of the, the page. And after you have prayed as a group, you are free to go and to worship this one who the whole Old Testament is about. And he knew it. And all the messianic prophecies are fulfilled in him. And he knew it. And we get to participate in this with him. Which I think is just incredible. So uh, that's the lesson for today. And thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.